I invite you tonight to read with me from God's Word in the book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel. And I plan over the next couple of evenings to talk about two great women, not only in the Bible, but in my estimation in the history of the world. Great women of faith, great women of courage, great women of decisiveness, who made a difference in the history of the Lord's people. And tonight I want to talk about one of the greatest mothers who ever lived. And I want to read to you beginning in the first chapter of 1 Samuel, beginning in verse 19, where the scripture says, They rose up in the morning early and worshipped before the Lord and returned and came to their house to Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. Wherefore it came to pass when the time was come about after Hannah had conceived that she bare a son and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked him of the Lord. And the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer unto the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow. But Hannah went not up, for she said unto her husband, I will not go up until the child be weaned, and then I will bring him, that he may appear before the Lord, and there abide forever. And Elkanah her husband said unto her, Do what seemeth thee good, tarry until thou have weaned him, only the Lord establish his word. So the woman abode and gave her son suck until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with three bullocks and one ephah of flour and a bottle of wine and brought him unto the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was young. For a little while tonight, I want to talk to you about a parent's promise. For anyone who thinks that God does not think highly of women, they need to take another look through the Bible, particularly the Old Testament, because God emphasizes in his holy book the role of women in the history of his people, and he places a great premium upon the faith of some great women. I think of women who had tremendous faith, and they made great decisions based upon that faith, who altered the history, the course of the nation of Israel, God's people, and ultimately uh, affected our very redemption. I think of Jochebed a long time ago who in faith hid the baby Moses because of that horrible edict that came down that those baby boys be thrown into the Nile River. And it was because that she took and she hid that goodly baby child and saved him from death that providence brought him into the household of Pharaoh himself. And some 40 years later, he would make a great decision in his own life that later in his life would lead him to the height of being the leader of Israel out of Egyptian bondage and ultimately the great lawgiver and prophet of Israel, the nation that God had promised unto Abraham so long before. I think of Ruth, and we'll talk about Ruth a little bit more tomorrow night, the Lord willing. And we think about, in this case, Hannah. And Hannah was as well a woman of great faith. And we see that in this decision that she made in her life. Now, Hannah, of course, had a very um, sad story. Hannah was barren. She could not have children. And it was a particularly blessed thing in that time for a woman to be able to bear children unto her husband. There was a great significance and spiritual significance even upon that among God's people. And Elkanah had married Hannah. She was not able to bear children unto him, but that didn't change the fact that Elkanah loved her and he favored her. Now, polygamy was tolerated in that day, 
And don't read into that that God ever really desired for his people to live in polygamous uh, relationships because that's not what God instituted in the beginning. We later read in the 19th chapter of Matthew that God allowed putting away, for example, under the time of Moses because of the hardness of men's hearts. And uh, polygamy was for a time tolerated by God. And Elkanah entered into a polygamous marriage. He married another woman, and perhaps he married her for the purpose that she could bear children unto him. And I would doubt that these two women had a whole lot of interaction and communication from day to day. But every year, the family would make the journey about 20 miles north from Jerusalem up to Shiloh, where the tabernacle was stationed at this time. And they would go up for this particular feast day, perhaps the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, there were different feast days and different times that drew the people to the temple in great numbers. And Elkanah and his family would make the journey up here to Shiloh on this particular day of the year. And this would put these two women in contact with one another. And the Bible says that Elkanah's wife taunted Hannah. She provoked her because she was barren and unable to have children. Well, that greatly disturbed Hannah. And that's what we read here in this text. That Hannah was very, very bitter of soul. She was, she was very, very emotionally uh, moved and disturbed by this treatment that this other woman was heaping upon her. And not only that, the fact that she herself could not bear children under her beloved husband, Elkanah. And so when they go to the tabernacle there at Shiloh, she, outside the tabernacle near the door, she decides that she is going to beg God to give her a baby. And uh, she just falls down right there outside the tabernacle and begins to pray to God. And Eli, the priest, is sitting over here on a chair by the doorpost of the tabernacle, and he sees this. The Bible says that she's weeping sore. She's in great bitterness of soul. And uh, he looks over and he can see her as she is praying, and her mouth is moving, but he hears no words. Have you ever prayed? Have you ever been so emotionally distraught and moved over some great dilemma or great problem in your life? That, uh, that words almost didn't even seem to come out. Well, uh, Hannah was in a great position of distress and she's praying, she's pouring out her heart unto the Lord and Eli is able to see her mouth move but not able to hear her prayer and he assumes that she's drunk and so he would rebuke her for being drunk there in the, in the, in the vicinity there of the tabernacle but she wasn't drunk at all. She was distraught. And she explains to him her plight. And so he blesses her and she goes on her way. And the prayer that she prayed there at the tabernacle that day was a wonderful and it is a powerful prayer that God answered. And I want to talk to you about that prayer that she prayed and the promise that she made to God that day as she poured out her heart unto him. Now, first of all, I want to talk about the priority that Hannah had in her life. Now, Hannah wouldn't be very popular in today's world. Hannah, in fact, might be ridiculed like she was this other woman, but for an altogether different reason in this day and time. Because she may not have had a child at this point, but she wanted a child. And it wasn't that she just wanted a child because children are fun to watch grow up. It wasn't that she just wanted a child because she wanted the experience of holding a little baby in her arms and all of the joy that that brings to new parents. 
She wanted to have a child that she could dedicate unto the Lord. She wants to be a mother. And not only that, she wants to be a godly mother. And so she prays, oh God, I want a baby. This woman had an instinct, if you please, to desire a child because she understands the principle that's found in God's word time and time again. And that is that children are an unmistakable gift and blessing from the Lord. Psalm 127 and verse 3 says, Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. Children are a blessing in the sight of God, certainly not a burden. And notice how God describes the husband in the very next psalm, Psalm 128, beginning in verse 3. He says, Thy wife shall be as a fruitful vine by the sides of thine house, thy children like olive plants round about thy table. Behold, that thus shall the man be blessed that feareth the Lord. It was a sign of God's blessing upon a man and upon a woman if they were able to bear children. And what does that say about our culture today when babies, for example, are being put to death by the millions in their mother's wombs? And it's often justified by the argument that it's a woman's life and it's a woman's body and therefore it's a woman's choice. You know, a mother's womb ought to be the safest place on the face of the earth. But unfortunately, Many a mother's womb has become an execution chamber for untold numbers of babies who were simply not wanted. Many children who are born are nothing more than an accident in the eyes of their parents. They're unwanted from the day they're conceived and as a result they're often brought into the world to be shoved aside and to be neglected and raised by others or even abused. For some people, children are an inconvenience. They're an added financial strain. They're a distraction from career and other life goals. Some don't desire a child because they want more of this world's things or they don't want a child taking away from their time and from their, uh, their dreams and their ambitions. And if that's their attitude, then they shouldn't be parents. But may I remind you that the Bible says that children are a blessing from the Lord and they're one of God's primary means of transmitting and preserving the truth from one age unto the next. And one of the things that makes Hannah such a great woman and ultimately such a great mother was the fact that she has a priority that she did not think that it was anything less than the very best that life could afford her to be a mother. You know, there were other women in the Bible who were in a similar situation as Hannah, and they longed to be mothers. Uh, they besought the Lord to give them children. They begged God even for a child, and God heard their prayers, and God gave them children. And you know, there's a remarkable thing when you see all of those various episodes in the Old Testament, particularly, that when a woman was barren and begged the Lord for a child, and the Lord gave them that child, that that child was always seemingly very remarkable and that child in one way or another changed the world you think about Sarah who was some 90 years old and she was barren but the Lord blessed her and she had a son and her son's name was of course Isaac and Isaac, of course, blessed the world, according to Genesis chapter 21, as we read the story. Rachel prayed, and she said, Lord, give me children or I die. And the Lord heard her prayer and gave her a son. His name was Joseph, 
one of the greatest men to ever live and one of the great, greatest types of the Lord Jesus Christ in all of the Old Testament. Elizabeth later did not have a child and her husband Zacharias and she prayed and God gave her a child and his name was John the Baptist who became the forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ and of whom Jesus said no greater had ever been born of woman. And here we come to Hannah, a woman who desperately wants a son and God gives her a son, little Samuel, who was the greatest and most influential man to live in the Old Testament between Moses and King David for a fact. Children are a blessing of the Lord and God blesses those who desire to have children to raise for him. You ever thought about what a difference, what a difference we would see in our world tonight if every child brought into this world were the result of prayer? If every child brought into this world were given back to God in prayer? What would the world have been like had there been no Isaac? Had there been no Joseph? Had there been no John? Hannah's a marvelous mother because she wants to be a mother. She wants to have a child. And sometimes you hear women and they'll say, uh, someone will ask them, well, what do you do? And they'll say, well, I'm a so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. And, -so and, -so. and oftentimes uh, that's very impressive. I know a lot of women that they're so-and-sos and so-and-so and, and they're very good at what they do and they've made their mark uh, in the business world or in the classroom or wherever it might be and, and if they can do that and if they can raise a family for the Lord Jesus Christ, that's wonderful. But then you turn around to some woman over here and you say, and what do you do? And she says, well, I'm just a housewife or I'm just a mother, just a housewife, just a mother. Folks, there's no greater calling that you can have in life as a Christian woman than to raise a child for the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And if you can be a so-and-so-and-so-and-so-and-so and still raise children for the Lord Jesus Christ, more power to you. But I'm going to tell you, your number one responsibility in this life, and this is not a demeaning thing to say, it is not a degrading thing to say, God values you as a woman, God values you as a wife and as a mother. One of the most impactful and influential and powerful things you can do in all of the world is to raise a child to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Hannah wanted a baby. And I want you to not only see Hannah's priority, I want you to see Hannah's purpose. She didn't want to just have a baby in order that she might have the joy of holding a newborn baby in her arms. She didn't want to just see a little boy grow up and wonder what he might grow up to be. Oh, she knew before she ever conceived this child. When she poured out her heart to God, she had a plan for this baby. Listen, in verses 10 and 11 of 1 Samuel 1, she was in bitterness of soul. She prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but wilt give unto thine handmaid a man-child that I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life. And there shall no razor come upon his head. Well, what does that last statement mean? There shall no razor come upon his head. Well, you have to understand something, of course, about the Old Testament. And that means that she would give her son to be a Nazarite. 
It has to do with the Nazarite vow. Now, the Nazarites were a very special group of people uh, who were given over to God in a very special way. And Numbers chapter 6 and verse 5 tells us how these Nazarites were to be raised. Uh, there Moses says, all the days of the vow of his separation, there shall no razor come upon his head until the days be fulfilled in the which he separateth himself unto the Lord. He shall be holy and shall let the locks of the hair of his head grow. Now here's a very special situation. It is an exception by nature. A man's hair is to be short. A woman's hair is to be long. But in this particular case, in that culture, in that dispensation of time, this Nazarite vow, uh, this was marked by the growing of their hair. And it was a sign that this person had been set apart to be holy unto God. And that's what Hannah is in essence praying. She is saying, God, I want to have a holy child. I want a child that is separated unto you. She's asking for a child as a gift from the Lord, which they are. And realizing that that child came from the Lord, she purposed in her prayer that she would turn right around and give that child back unto the Lord. Do you pray for your children? Surely you do. We all pray for our children. Well, when did you start praying for your children? After they were born? Or whether that's a little too late? Hannah prayed before Samuel was even conceived. Not just that she might have a baby. She wants to have a baby in order that she might raise him for God and literally turn around and give them over to the service of the Lord. What well, do you pray for your children? Do you pray for your children to be healthy? Well, there's nothing wrong with that. We all desire that our children would grow up to be healthy. Do you pray for your child's success in life? There's not necessarily anything wrong with that. Do you pray for their happiness? Do you pray for uh, opportunities and education and career? Do you pray that they'll find friends and uh, acceptance? And there might be any list of things that you regularly have or continue to pray for, for your children and for your grandchildren. And we've all prayed those prayers to one degree or another. But is that really your priority for your child? What is your desire for your child? Because let me tell you, your desire is going to be expressed consistently in what you pray for. What do you really desire for your children? What is most important? Do you desire for your children a good education? Do you desire for them a high-paying, lucrative career full of opportunity? Do you pay for them a desirable spouse? Certainly nothing wrong with that. We should hope that our children grow up certainly to marry Christians and people that will help them get to heaven. Do you pray that they'll uh, be happy and healthy and give you grandchildren one day to enjoy and so forth? Do you dream? What do you dream about when you bring a baby boy or a baby girl into the world and you hold them and you gaze at them and you try to imagine the future and wonder what life will hold and what they will be? Do you know there are many people who would think that it was a great tragedy. They would think that somehow they went wrong if their children grow up without the things that I mentioned but yet know the Lord. They would somehow think that they'd fallen short if their son grew up and simply said, I want to be a gospel preacher. Or if their daughter said, I simply want to be a preacher's wife. Oh no, we want little Johnny to be a star athlete. We want little Susie to be a movie star or a famous musician. That's the attitude of most people in the world. And to one degree or another, sadly, that's the attitude of some people in the church. They think a lot more about the financial future of their child than they do about the spiritual future of their children. You know what my desire is for my children if my heart deceive me not tonight? 
And I believe I can honestly say this. My desire for my children was worded by the Apostle John long ago in 3 John verse 4 when he said, I have no greater joy than to know that my children walk in truth. And that's it. I have no greater joy than to know that my children walk in truth. And I'm not nearly as concerned with them being poor in material things as I am them being poor in spiritual things. I have prayed many prayers throughout their life that they will grow up to know the Lord, that they will always serve Him all the days of their life. I think that's what a parent should pray for. I think that's what a parent should promise unto the Lord. God has given me this child. They are a gift from the Lord. They are a solemn and sacred responsibility and I have an obligation to the Lord to do everything within my power to take this child and to dedicate them under the service of the uh, under the service of the Lord and the service of his kingdom it's a sad thing to me when I see Christian parents who are obviously more wrapped up and more worried about whether their kids succeed in the classroom or on the ball field that's the big one today on the ball field whether rather than what whether they succeed in the eyes of the Lord There's a brother down in the south, not far from where I live. I was holding a meeting in his home congregation a few years ago. He raised five children. One afternoon we were driving through the countryside on our way to a meal appointment. And we were talking about the challenges that young parents face in today's world. We were talking about how difficult it seems to be to shelter our children from so many of the temptations and the evil influences of the world and he said um, you know he said I had five kids that really didn't give me much trouble he said I was very blessed my children were always pretty easy to raise he said um, I had one rule in my house he said one steadfast rule and that was a curfew he said, and uh, it was kind of a strict curfew. I mean, it was an early curfew. And most kids, of course, wouldn't like that. But he said, I, I set that curfew fairly early. And my children knew that when it came to that curfew, I meant business. And he said, I couldn't go to sleep until I knew that all of my children had kept that curfew and were in my house. He said, Friday night, whenever the time would come, when other kids were out with who knows what, involved in whatever, he said, it was a wonderful sound to me to hear the door open and close one, two, three, four, five times and to know that all of my children were safe and sound under my roof where they ought to be. And he said, I could go to sleep. And then he said, and this was very moving to me, he said, you know now what the greatest and sweetest sound to my ears is on the Lord's day at 10.30 in the morning when I hear the door close at the back of the church building for the last time and I turn around and I see all five of my children sitting in the house of God. Now I'll tell you that didn't happen by accident. That didn't happen by itself. That happened because there was a Christian father and a Christian mother who took their responsibility seriously. It happened because there was a Christian father and a Christian mother who had the priority when they had children and raised their children to raise their children for God. And as a result, the church was their life and the church is their life yet today. Does that describe your family? Does that describe your children? Rather than praying for your children to be rich, 
Rather than praying for them to be successful, let me give you a prayer to pray for your children and it's right out of the Word of God. In fact, if you ever struggle with what to pray for, if you're on praying terms with God, I don't think you can do any better than to simply pray a Bible prayer. And let me read you a prayer of the Apostle Paul over in Ephesians chapter 3. Now here, Paul was praying for spiritual children, so to speak. It's a prayer he offered for the church. But I want you to listen to this. And I want you to see if this isn't a wonderful prayer to pray for your children. Listen, beginning in verse 14. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh within us. Isn't that a wonderful thing to pray for your children? That they might know the Lord. They might be strengthened in the things that count and the things that matter. Hannah had a purpose. And her purpose was, God, I want a child that will serve you. And listen, she wasn't just making a promise to the Lord in order to get a child. She kept her promise. Little Samuel is born. Little Samuel. And she tells Elkanah the first time that the sacrifice comes around, and there to make the journey to Shiloh. She says, I'll not go this time. She was going to attend to her responsibility and her duty as a mother to this new little boy. And she says, when he is weaned, which back in that time probably would have been about three years old. She said, when he is weaned, I will take him to Shiloh. And I would imagine in those three years, she sang to him as she rocked him the songs of Israel. I would imagine that she told him about God and maybe told him the stories of Moses and the children of Israel, that she recited to him perhaps the Ten Commandments and the law. And when that little boy was probably about three years old, she took him to the tabernacle. She took him to Shiloh and she left him. She took him to the priest Eli and she committed him Onto the service of the Lord. You talk about faith. You talk about courage. Here's a woman who meant what she prayed for. And she takes a little, little toddler of a boy. And entrusts him in the keeping of the priest there at the tabernacle. To remain there. And she would see him from year to year as they would go back to the tabernacle to offer sacrifice. And she would even make a, it's a sweet little story in the Bible of course. She'd make a little coat for him and she would take it to him there at the tabernacle. And he would grow up of course to be the great prophet of God. She not only had a priority. She not only had a purpose. She not only prayed a prayer. She not only made a promise. She kept her promise. And she influenced that child for the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't underestimate your godly example. Take your children to Shiloh. Immerse them in the things of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Don't underestimate the power of that. I wasn't raised in the home of a preacher. I wasn't raised by parents that you might consider influential in the kingdom of God, rather inconspicuous. But I was raised by two parents who believed that three times a week we went to church. 
I was raised by two parents who believed if the church is having a gospel meeting, we go. I was not immersed in football and baseball and basketball, and that's all all right in its place and to a point. But that wasn't our life. Our life was the church. There was no debate. There was no deliberation. We didn't have to wonder, will we go Wednesday night? We didn't have to wonder if there was a gospel meeting. Will we go tonight? Will we go tomorrow night? Will we attend any of the meeting this week? If there was a gospel meeting, we went. If there was a meeting within driving distance of our congregation, if it was at all possible, we went. And my life, from the time I can remember, was the church. And one of the most, one of the most vivid memories that I will always have of my time at home and my mother particularly was early in the morning when I would get up to go to school my mother had her chair there in the living room she had a little side table and a lamp and every morning you could just count on it you would walk in the room and there would be an open Bible laying there on the table under that burning lamp and a notebook nearly full and she did that every day. She would get up before anybody else and she would spend an hour reading and studying the Bible. We didn't have a lot of times in my home of sitting down and having what you might think of as a structured time of Bible study and so forth. But I grew up knowing that the Bible, the Word of God, was an important and a sacred book. I grew up knowing that, it, knowing that it's worthy of our time and worthy of reading it and worthy of studying it and certainly worthy of obeying it. And I'm reminded of a tender and a sweet passage in the New Testament when Paul wrote to the young man Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5. And he said, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Well, Lois grows into a woman. She gets married. And she has a little baby girl. She names her Eunice. She holds her and she rocks her, probably saying lullabies to her. And I'd like to think that she whispered in his ear, or whispered in her ear rather, in those formative years, God loves you. That she sang to him the songs of God's people. And years later, Lois, she would grow into a woman. And she would fall in love and she would get married and she would have a baby. And she would name that little bouncing baby boy Timothy. And just as her own mother had done, she would swaddle him and she would rock him and she would whisper in his ear, Jesus loves you, Timothy. And now Paul says, the unfeigned faith that is in thee was in your mother, it was in your grandmother. A father has a powerful influence on a child, but a mother makes such a deep, deep impression and shapes and molds that child. Hannah was persistent. She persuaded that little boy Samuel. She dedicated him unto the Lord. And listen, she changed the course of history. There's nothing greater than to raise a baby for Jesus Christ and for his kingdom. I want to close tonight with two true stories. Nancy Hanks was a woman who arose out of a dark and troubled life. She lived a humble and in many ways a very difficult life, but she was a woman of deep faith. For many years she was illiterate, and it's said that she learned to read by reading the Bible. She was married and she had a son. When he was just a boy, Nancy died. 
At just nine years of age, that little boy helped his father build his mother's coffin by whittling the pegs that held the wooden planks together. Some 50 years later, when he was the president of the United States, Abraham Lincoln recalled the prayers that he'd heard a mother pray. And he said, all I am or ever hope to be, I owe to my angel mother. You've probably heard that story. You've certainly heard that quotation. But there was another young man who lived about 100 years later. And he had a very different story. This boy also had a mother. She was a mean, cruel, dominating woman, a selfish woman. She had no time or love for anyone else but herself. She was married three times. It's said that her second husband divorced her because she abused him. This little boy, when he was a child, never experienced love. He never experienced discipline. He was neglected. He was shoved around. He was overlooked. One time it said that his mother chastised him when he called upon her at work and said, Don't you ever bother me while I'm at work. I don't need you pestering me. He felt totally rejected. This boy had a high IQ, but he dropped out of high school. He tried the military, joined the Marines, but was given a dishonorable discharge. He really had no talent, no skills. He was lost in life. He later ended up in a foreign country. He married a woman from that country. The marriage began to fail and she left him. He hit the bottom. He felt he was a failure. He begged her to come back. She eventually did come back and they moved back to the United States. The only appreciable skill that this young man had was handling a rifle. He learned that during his time in the Marines. And on November 22nd of 1963, he took his rifle up into the upper story of a book storage building in downtown Dallas, Texas, and he fired three shots that changed the world. That changed the world. Any historian will tell you that that was the moment that America changed forever. And in many ways, the world changed at that moment in time. You ever wondered how different the world might be had Lee Harvey Oswald had a mother who actually loved him? If he had a mother who took him to church? Had he had a mother that read the Bible to him? Who prayed to him? Who sang to him, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so? How different the world would be. You as a mother, you as a parent tonight, have the power to change the world. You certainly have the power to change the course and ensure the future of the kingdom of God upon this earth. And I hope you take that promise to the Lord very seriously. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 730 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.